if you have a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, maybe you've already turned there. Maybe the, the big sign on the back here, this, this banner, give you a hint of where we are. Uh, or maybe it was me reading the scripture. Uh, but open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Uh, and as you're turning there uh, with me this, this morning, let me set this up uh, for us. Uh, this is week three uh, of our sermon series, working through Paul's letter uh, to the church at Philippi. Uh, we know that Paul planted this church, uh, that he did so on his second missionary journey. Uh, but now it's, it's 10, 15 years or so later, and we know that Paul is in prison in Rome. And the reason uh, that Paul is, is writing now, the reason he's writing this letter, uh, is to stir, is to stir these people's, this church's heart uh, towards joy despite their circumstances. Uh, whether they're facing success uh, or suffering, we see here Paul just pleading with them to find their deepest joy, uh, to find their deepest meaning, uh, their hope their fulfillment, uh, and their identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, by outward circumstances, uh, along with a worldly perspective, there was very little reason uh, for this church or even Paul to be uh, rejoicing. And that's exactly what makes this letter, I believe, so incredibly helpful. Uh, Because we all want to be filled with joy, don't we? We, we all want to have some measure of hope uh, that endures. But yet, um, how many of us continually and, and, and truly find ourselves uh, in that place? Right? It seems like so many times that hope and joy is almost like just out of our reach. Right? We know this, right? But life is challenging, right? That's not a really difficult uh, statement for me to say. We know this. I mean, just this, just this month, uh, with people in and around my life, uh, people in, within this community, I've talked to people who are struggling deeply uh, with anxiety and, and depression, uh, people questioning their purpose, uh, curious about the, the, the meaning of, of life. There have been a few deaths uh, of, of, loved, of loved ones within this uh, community, uh, feelings of, of loss, and hopelessness. Uh, There has been uh, broken friendships, uh, broken fellowship. There's been bitterness towards God, unanswered prayers. And I've talked to to several, several people who are just simply feeling the pain of living in this broken world with everything going uh, going on and around us. We, We all feel, we all feel the weight of these things, Right, we've been there, or uh, we know people who are there, even right now. And again, that's why the letter of Philippians is so incredibly helpful. Because even in the midst of his hardship and struggle, Paul says to us that joy can be found. A joy that uh, doesn't just uh, help us endure life's challenges, like kind of just kind of grip and, and get through it, but that there is a joy that allows us to thrive uh, in this world. He tells us that there is a transcendent hope that goes beyond our circumstances, a hope that can weather any storm. Now, now last week, uh, we we considered what motivated Paul. 
what, what gave him peace and, and joy amidst his imprisonment and, and the face of, of death. We looked at these solid or firm realities uh, for Paul. And, and today we're going to see more of the same. Uh, because what we are going to essentially see Paul do in our text today um, is, is anchor, anchor the Philippians in some hope-filled principles. Uh, he's going to provide for them what I'll call today uh, a guide for hope as they lived among circumstances that were less than hopeful. And so we're going to look at these principles together. Uh, I'm going to give you four of them. Uh, this is Paul's guide for hope here in the book of Philippians. So number one, we'll work through these one by one as we work through our way through the text. This is first principle or guide here. Take time to reflect on the gospel and its application uh, to your life. That would be uh, Paul's starting point in his guide for hope. That would be chapter one, I think. Uh, this entire section, uh, you'll notice, it, it radiates out uh, from one term. We read the whole text together. It radiates out from one term, the gospel. We know clearly that the gospel was at the center of Paul's life. He was all about the gospel. He, he wouldn't stop talking about the gospel. I mean, I mean, look at this. Uh, again, in verse 5, hopefully you have a copy of God's word in front of you because we don't have this on the screen. But in verse 5, he he talks about partnership in the gospel. We'll address that later. In verse 7, he says that you are all partakers with me of uh, of grace, both in my imprisonment and what? And in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Or later in chapter 1, verse 16, if you move your eyes down a little bit, he says, I am put here in prison. Why? For the defense... Of the gospel. Then in verse 27, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Why? For the faith of the gospel. And if you're familiar with any or all of Paul's writings, you know this isn't a rarity here. This is an exception. This is a commonality. Paul was deeply deeply committed to the gospel, to speaking about it, to, to, to spreading it, uh, to, to reminding people of it, to advancing it. You know, some of you, uh, I'm sure, some of you think uh, I talk about the gospel too much. Like every time I, I listen to Pastor James preach, he's just always talking about the gospel. Well, you can blame Paul for that, right? It's not me, it's his fault, right? right? It doesn't matter the letter. It really doesn't matter. Romans, uh, the book of Romans, look, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you uh, also who are in Rome. Or the book of Ephesians, his letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 6, he says this, pray also for me that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to why? Why? To proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Or in his letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 9, he says, this is really strong, he says, woe to me, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel. See, Paul, Paul, again, he was constantly, continually preaching the gospel and reminding people of the gospel. And many times, actually most of the time, let's remember who's he, who he's talking to. Right? Who's he addressing in all of these letters, right? These letters are, are, and words are addressed to who? They're Christians. 
And so given how prevalent uh, the gospel was to Paul, I certainly think it's worthwhile for us to pause just for a moment and, and speak about this to address the question, what is the gospel? And for our purposes in Philippians, maybe we'd ask an even bigger question, which is, why did Paul continue to bring the gospel to Christians? Well, uh, to to kind of work through this, hopefully quickly, uh, because we've got a lot else to cover, uh, we know that the term gospel comes from the Greek word uh, euangelion, okay? Euangelion, which means, simply means, good or glad news, uh, it's a victory report. And, and what makes it so good? What makes it such joy-filled news? Well, uh, we define it uh, this way here at Freedom Village. If you took ever uh, Freedom Village 101, our membership course, you, would, you should recognize this. We say it this way. The good news, the gospel, is the news that Jesus came to redeem this broken world. And he has done so by his very life, death, and resurrection. It's the reality that when he died, he took the wrath of God for the penalty of our sins on the cross. It is the truth that three days later, he resurrected from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, uh, and death once for all. And that because he has done all this, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. That's our victory report. This is the life-saving and life-changing message of grace received through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right? That's how we defined it. Uh, or you could just remember J.I. Packer, if, you've, if you're not familiar with J.I. Packer, famous theologian. He has a definition of the gospel. Maybe you didn't write down everything I just said. So you can remember J.I. Packer's definition of the gospel. Pretty simple. Three words. God saves sinners. Period. That's the gospel. And and so again, this is why Paul talks about the gospel so much. And this is is why I I preach about it so often and why as a church community, uh, we, we talk about the gospel so much because we believe, we truly believe that Jesus alone offers to fulfill us to to meet us, to to rescue us, to heal us, to restore us, to forgive us, to transform us, and to satisfy us in a way that nothing in the created order can or will. This is the amazing news of the gospel. And so I I want us to understand this. I want us to grasp this, that, that there is actually, there's no getting beyond the gospel. There's no getting beyond the gospel in your Christian walk. There's only going more deeply into the gospel. And I believe if you're growing and maturing in your faith, uh, you know that wholeheartedly to be true. Uh, I certainly know that this has been my experience. uh, That this, uh, some of you are going to resonate with this and you're going to listen to this and find yourself in one of these stages. But uh, we we know, right, that this whole journey with Jesus, it sort of begins like this, with this, this gospel acknowledgement, let's say. Right? Like you hear the gospel, you, you hear that God saves sinners, and at that, like you, you understand, and you, then you acknowledge, okay, yes, I heard that news, I'm a sinner, I need saving, I need you, Jesus, I believe you are who you are, and, and, and who you said you were, uh, were and, and so, you know, you start there, right? I need Jesus. 
That's the basic understanding of the gospel, and that's enough. That's enough to be saved, to be sure, and to receive all of the saving benefits of Jesus. But then, if you find yourself in a context where you continue to subject yourself to uh, lots of, I'll say, good gospel teaching, you'll likely move to this place of gospel awareness. Okay, So you're away from gospel acknowledgement to gospel awareness. And this is where you start to see that though you believe the gospel, though you trust what Jesus has done and all that he is for you, there are clearly areas of your life or in your life where you don't follow him, you don't trust him. So at this place, you start to see your unbelief. You start to recognize how easy it is to say one thing and to live uh, another way, right? Or, okay, I live this way, and yet I completely live opposite, right, of the way, of the way I say that I believe. And so it's here then when you're, when you're reminded of the gospel by people that it slowly starts to become good news to you again. The gospel truly starts to sink into and penetrate your heart. Right? You become even more aware of your, your need for Jesus. And at the same time, his faithfulness to meet those needs and to save you. Right? You're awakened in a greater, greater way to the reality or the realities that, that you are broken and he is whole. That, that, he is, or that you are weak and he is strong. That you are small and he is great. That you are fragile and he is eternal. And it's here in this place where there's a fresh sense of God's grace and beauty um, in your life. Right? When we know all of this is a progression, right? it's a journey that the Lord takes us on. And then eventually, you move from this place, that stage, and you reach the stage of what I'll say is uh, a gospel awe. This is a, a more mature stage, a gospel awe. And this is a place where you're actively seeking pursuing uh, the, the goal of revolving your life around the gospel. It's reaching a place in life when you know truly that what you need and really all you need is the good news of who God is and the truth about who you are. That's all you need. It's, it's just that simple. And it's here also that there is a growing understanding of the gospel. Yes, of course, but then also an ability to apply the gospel to your life. I've heard it said this way before. It's here that you become gospel fluent. Gospel fluent. Some of you, especially if you're a foreigner here in Korea, you've tried to, you know, you got the, the 101 Korean textbooks and you're trying to learn the language, at least enough to like uh, pay for like something at CU Mart or tell the taxi driver to go left or right or some of you have dared to go on coupon and try to order, right? You're trying to become fluent to just to live, right? Um, but, 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 but this is about being gospel fluent. You, you speak the gospel, live the gospel. Your whole life is centered on the gospel. The gospel is, is everything for you. And in the places that it's not, the places where the gospel is not the center of your life, you are working, actively working and seeking to replace those lies with the truth of the gospel, it's a place where you deeply resonate with the psalmist, David, when he says, a day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. That 
in the beginning, when you first come to know Christ, that is true. Of course, it's always true. But as you mature in your walk and your faith and you, you truly start to resonate and understand the gospel, you really do believe uh, one day with him is better than a thousand anywhere else. So Paul spends so much time in his letters unpacking the gospel to Christians and then applying it to their lives. Why? Why? Because the, the gospel anchors us in the creator, not in the creation. It anchors us in the Lord of our circumstances, not the circumstances themselves. And so now we can begin to understand why Paul is so emphatic about emphasizing the gospel and why he can be filled with such a joy-filled confidence and hope, even in his imprisonment. Because his hope was not found in his circumstances. His hope was found in the Lord of hope. And so we need to, to practice or develop a practice of considering and applying the gospel to our lives. That's where we start. That's where we start. And everything works from here. Everything's going to work from that, that point, actually. And the second principle uh, I want us to point to, number two, is we need to prioritize our partnerships in the gospel. Uh, it's a second point in our guide to hope this morning. Prioritize your partnerships in the gospel. Look at verse 3, at least the, the beginning of it. Paul says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Uh, there's, there's really so much I could say here. Um, I could have made an additional point, actually, just on this phrase. But let me just say a few quick things about this uh, before I address the main point here. Uh, first of all, I want to highlight the reality that the gospel uh, always makes us thankful people. Uh, we know that Paul begins nearly all of his letters with some measure of thanksgiving. And that's a reflection of a heart that's been gripped by the gospel of grace. Paul is genuinely thankful to God. And why? Well, again, we talked about this last week and we just addressed it. Again, because Paul understands that we are owed nothing and we deserve nothing. And yet God, in his rich love and lavish grace and mercy, forgives us in Jesus, giving us what we don't deserve. And so what could we say to that? Or what should we? Or what do we say to that? It's, it's a heartfelt, genuine, sincere, thank you. Thank you, God. We know that in Christ, all of life is a gift. Everything uh, the air we breathe, laughter, uh, strength, any form or semblance of health we have, our friends, good, few, good food, and of course, uh, salvation, right? It's all a gift. We deserve, by the way, deserve none of it. In fact, we deserve the opposite of what the Lord gives. And so people whose lives have been changed by the gospel, they understand that. They, 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 they resonate with, it, with that truth, and so then they turn and have hearts of thanksgiving, uh, and then I also want us to notice here that Paul says something very personal here. Uh, notice it again in the beginning of this verse. He says, I thank my God. I thank my God. Um, I love the fact that the gospel allows us to call God uh, our God or, or my God. 
Aren't you amazed by that? You should be. It's a simple phrase. Uh, It might not look profound to you, but you should think about that even this week, that Paul could say, I thank my God. Not the God or this unknown being, right? This amazing truth that when you pray, you aren't praying to some unknown entity, but a divine personality. He's my God. He's your God. He's, he's collectively our God. And what a privilege that is, uh, that God is not far off from us. He's so close, near to us. We have this deep, intimate relationship with him to the point where we could say, he's mine. He's my God. Paul says here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And then move to the next verse. Always in, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now let's talk about that. So, so Paul here is encouraging us to prioritize our partnership, or other translations will say fellowship, in the gospel. He wants us to prioritize our partnership or fellowship in the gospel. And this is a word that we've talked about uh, several times here in this community, but it's a word uh, translated or translated from the word koinonia. Okay, you've heard that word here, perhaps. Um, and, and so partnership here, partnership here or fellowship here, it's not to be taken lightly. Right? This is not like um, small talk. Or, or chit-chat in the fellowship hall uh, after a Sunday service, right? I think a lot of us um, think of fellowship that way because like, we have names for different places of our church buildings. And of course, where the kitchen is, right? And there's like, a communal place and the, the trays and the forks and everything, and you get drinks, and that's the fellowship hall, right? And so we, you know, after the service, at least we haven't been able to do this for like a year and a half, but uh, especially more traditional churches, you know, there's some amazing um, home cooking done. Maybe you're eating spaghetti together and you're chit-chatting over pasta, right? And that's fellowship in the fellowship hall. Right? It's not that. This is not that. Um, or, or I thought it was, well, like partnership in the gospel. I thought, you know, partnership in our, in our day could so often mean like a business venture or a business partner. Like I have an investor. I'm going to open this cafe and I don't have any money, but I can brew coffee. And so like I got this venture capitalist who's my partner for this cafe. It's, it's not that either. This is so much deeper. What, what Paul is describing here is, is the all-encompassing nature of their mutual commitment to one another around the gospel. So, so get this. Partnership here fellowship here, it describes this, this mutual, this agreed upon giving of time and energy and resources for the shared goal of advancing the gospel. It's a partnership that's marked by grace because we know that we are saved by grace alone and by nothing that we have done. It's a partnership that's marked, defined by service and meeting the needs of one another within our community and within our city because we've been served and our greatest needs have been met by Jesus. This is a partnership that's marked by unity uh, 
because we're now all brought together in Christ as one family. Again, in Jesus. Sons and daughters with the same Father. And this, this partnership is marked by a common mission. Again, a common mission of advancing the gospel in our city, nation, and world. Right? There's nothing on earth. There's nothing on earth like this gospel partnership that we have within the local church. And so I want, I want to encourage us uh, today, I want to encourage us today to consider uh, what a privilege it is to be partnered with God and with each other in what he is doing in the world. Right? What we are doing what we are doing here, I know, again, we, we desire to be in person. If we're all here, I tell you all face-to-face and look at you all, but I look at the camera and say, what we're doing here is not, it's not just a weekly meeting that we attend. Not at all, right? This is a partnership with each other before God, powered by God to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's incredible, uh, the meaning of this partnership. And so let me ask you uh, this morning, uh, I want to ask you this. What is your partnership, or what does that partnership look like for you? Uh, who are you partnered with? Uh, you know, uh, the problem is that so often, you know, when we're experiencing a lack of joy in our life or, you know, a lack of hope, uh, we tend to, in our flesh, we tend to isolate ourselves, don't we? We tend to isolate ourselves. And that's really, uh, it's, a, it's a smart <laughs> trick uh, of the enemy. Because when we do that, when we do that, we actually miss out on one of God's primary means of grace in our lives to help us through life storms, these, these gospel partnerships. Uh, again, the, the local church is God's means to give us these joyful gospel partnerships. And so again, I encourage you, prioritize being involved uh, in a church, serving uh, in the local church context, serving other believers, serving those outside the church, uh, connecting with others. And again, why? For your joy, but also for the sake of his mission, which is, again, advancing the gospel, making disciples of the nations. Number three, number three, our guide to hope here from Paul Number three, take comfort. Take comfort in God's persevering grace. Take comfort in God's persevering grace. If you're feeling hopeless today, this is, there's a lot of comfort here uh, in, this, in this verse and these points here coming. Look at what Paul says, starting in verse six. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day, or at the day, of Jesus Christ. Now we know that that the good work that Paul's talking about here is salvation in Jesus. So he's saying here that God, God initiated or began this good work of salvation in you, right? Which we know is true of anyone Uh, Anyone, everyone, right? Each salvation story, each conversion, each transformation is a work of God. It's originated by God. And that should bring us, again, that should bring us great hope. Great hope because we know, we know that 
what God started, he promises to complete, that he will finish his work, right? That's the point that Paul's making here. Listen, really, the the entire trajectory of the Christian life is captured in this one sentence, I think. It's pretty stunning that from beginning to end, salvation is a work of the Lord. He began it, and he's going to complete it. It does not depend, thank God, it does not depend on human effort to start, right, to initiate, and therefore it does not ultimately rest on human effort to perfect our salvation or to keep our salvation going. But I think the question is, it's a good question to ask, would be, well, how can Paul be so confident of this work in the case of the Philippians? Maybe he could say that about himself, but how could he say this to these people that he's writing to? these Philippians in this church here, well, we'll look at what he, what he does here in this letter. He actually highlights external evidences of the grace of God at work in their life. See that starting in verse 7. He says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all. And that, that means to have this sort of uh, confidence that the grace of God is at work among them and that he will bring it to completion. That's, it's right for him to feel that that is the case. Why? He says, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers of me in the gospel or with the gospel. And how? How are they so? He says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so, okay. Let's break this down really quickly. What Paul is talking about here is simple. It's really that he has seen, witnessed evidence of the grace of God at work in their life. That he's witnessed, seen, heard about this transformation that's taken place within their lives. Which, in turn, then gives him this assurance that God will complete the salvation that he began in them in the first place. So, for example, he highlights here how they supported him while he was in prison. Right? Um, this might not seem like a huge deal to us, but we know that in the ancient world, being in prison was a, a great shame. It's a great shame, a dishonor. But even in that, the church believed in Paul. They stood by Paul. They were supporting Paul. Not only that, but he... He highlights their ongoing defense, their ongoing trust uh, in the gospel. Meaning what? Simple, that they're staying faithful to the Lord. Right? They're not only believing Jesus, but he says here, I know that the gospel is at work in you because you're actually active in sharing the gospel. You're sharing Jesus with other people. And so Paul says, this is really all the evidence I need. That, that God is clearly at work in your life because of this Uh, This zealous nature for the gospel, for the things of the gospel, for your care, your love, all these things. And so because of that, he says, I can have hope. Or I have hope because he will ultimately bring you home to himself. You're doing those things, and so I know that's evidence that God is at work in your life. He'll continue to work in your life, and he's going to bring you home. That's the message here. Again, I know you're struggling I know you're being persecuted, facing trials of many kinds, but be encouraged, church, that God is working in you. 
Have hope because God never gives up on those that are his, never. He will complete what he has begun in you. That's guaranteed. And listen, today, today you can have this grace-filled assurance as well. If you have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have quit, if you have quit finding hope in yourself and you've turned to him, and, and again, the trajectory of your life, if it gives evidence of that trusting, of that turning, you can, you should have this hope as well. Certainly, certainly there will be highs and lows on this journey of following Jesus. Um, in your flesh, in my flesh, we will still sin. But again, if the trajectory of your life is towards him and not away from him, you have great hope today that the one who began this amazing work in you will complete it. God will never give up on you, ever. You know, I was thinking about this this week, you know, that <laughs> once again, I've thought about it many times, but thought of it once again, you know, if salvation, this is such, such good news here, because if salvation was dependent on us, if, if salvation was dependent on us, surely none of us, none of us would make it. Of course not. And, and therefore, I could never stand up here with, with any amount of confidence, no, zero confidence, really, and, and preach to you a message of hope. Like, you have hope today. If salvation is dependent on you, no hope. <laughs> But because God is the one keeping you, because God is the one like, holding your hand and, and bringing you to the finish line, I know for sure that we have a blessed hope today. And what this also means, listen, that, that practically, practically, whatever is happening in your life right now, whatever's happening, whatever's going on in your life right now, the highs, the lows, the, the blessings, the struggles, the pain, the trials, everything that comes your way, all of it is all part of the ongoing or your ongoing growth and development that God is using to complete the work that he started in you. Again, it doesn't mean it's easy to go through this life. It's not. Okay? Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you or they haven't lived long enough. Okay? Life is hard, but this at least gives us hope, doesn't it? Doesn't this bring you, you joy? It should, knowing that if you are in Christ, if you are his son or his daughter, that he promises to bring you home back to himself, which then should change our perspectives totally, regardless of the situation or the circumstance that we face. We can have hope in any time, comfort any time, because of God's persevering grace in our lives. And then lastly, and we'll land the, the plane here today. Number four, uh, Paul, uh, Paul's guide for hope for us. Number four, abound in love to the glory of God. Abound in love to the glory of God. Verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So, so we see that Paul shifts to, to prayer here. Okay, he now shifts to prayer. 
moves from a statement to a prayer. And I want you to notice how Paul prays for this church. First of all, we see that he prays that their love, and love here means uh, their love for, for God and their love for others. That their love, he says, would abound. Abound means overflow, okay? That their, their love would abound or overflow with knowledge. Knowledge. And knowledge here is in regards to, to knowing God, okay? This is not like uh, knowledge of calculus, okay? Or, or, you know, whatever, Pythagorean theorem. I don't know, whatever you're thinking. What is knowledge? Knowledge here is in regards to knowing God. It's knowing the things of God. Like, for example, like his will, uh, his, his truth, knowing what he's like, right? It's knowing what is good or everything that is good. And so he, he prays that, that we would abound in believing all the right things. That's essentially what he's saying. Uh, that the Philippian church would, would abound, would be overflowing in believing all the right things. And then he prays that their love would abound with all discernment, which is knowing both the right things to do and, uh, I'll say it another way, what are the best things to do? Both of those are included there. Both the right things to do and what are the best, th- best things to do. And so, uh, I'll say it this way, that this isn't just some kind of, like when Paul is talking about love here, this isn't just this kind of like Sesame Street, like warm and fuzzy love, like it ends the end. Or like Barney, you know, like I love you at the end, you love me, like that's not, that's not that. Right? This is talking about a, a firmly, again, I'll keep using that word anchored today, this firmly anchored love that's constantly growing in knowledge of God, meaning both knowing the right things to believe and an overflowing understanding of knowing the right things to do. The right things to believe and the right things to do, knowing both, growing in this knowledge of God and who he is, what his will is, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. And then verse 10, he says, so that, I pray these things over you, for you, so that you may approve what is excellent. Uh, In other words, uh, living in a way that really matters, and we're going to see this, has purpose. That's what he's talking about here. Approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Of God, I could have gone a number of directions here. There are whole sermons written about this text. Um, I won't preach another sermon, okay, <laughs> right now. Um, but I want to really focus, for the purpose of today, I want to focus on this word righteousness. Uh, there are two, two primary ways we know that the New Testament uh, uses righteousness. Okay? Righteousness. First, first, it refers to Jesus' righteousness, which is... Um, let's say it this way, it's a, it's a legal righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is a legal righteousness. That, that when we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus' righteousness or his right record, his rightness, right standing is credited to us. Uh, you can think of it this way. We get his perfect report card, right? his righteousness. And in turn, he gets our failed report cards, right? our unrighteousness, okay? It's the righteousness of Jesus. And then the second kind of righteousness that the scriptures speak about is our, our actual righteousness. So based on having Jesus's righteousness credited to us, 
Right? The scriptures call us to pursue holiness, right, right living. Listen, not, not, to, not to earn God's approval, but we pursue holiness and righteousness because we already have that approval from God. And that's what this is talking about here. And so this is a pretty massive prayer here. Right? It's pretty massive. And note the progression of the prayer. He's praying for, for love abounding with knowing the right things about God and the ability to choose the right things or the best things in life in order to approve what is excellent so that you can live in a way that really matters. Overflowing with the fruit of right living, he says. Your, your life is just flowing out of, of the fruits of righteousness. What, through Jesus, why? To the glory of God. Okay, there's a lot there. Bottom line, and I, I don't know, I'll try to sum this up, but bottom line, basically this tells us that, that God cares how we live. That, that he wants us to flourish. He wants us to enjoy life, and therefore, all of his calls to us, to holiness, are always a call to joy every single time. So Paul is praying here that the Philippians, and therefore, in turn, us, he's praying this over us as well, that we would live in light of God's faithfulness to us. That we would live our lives in light of God's faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, his love to us. And it's just so amazing to me. And this is the topic he chose for them. Right? I mean, this is a a letter. Who knows how long it would take for this letter to, to get from Rome to Philippi at this time? I don't know, a month? I don't know. He could have prayed anything, but the thing he chooses, and I think it's because of his great love for them, what he chooses was to pray for them that they would grow in holiness and to overflow with right living. He's telling them, church, he's telling them, church, I want you to keep your perspective despite your circumstances and live and live for the right things. Why? Why? Because again, your, your life is not found in your circumstances, but in how you love, who you love, and who you're becoming. So he says, I want your love to abound so that your life is filled with right living. And again, not to be made right with God, right? We can't earn our way to God, but because we already have been made right with God. We pursue holiness not to earn God's approval, but because we already have been approved by God. So again, we we know God wants us to flourish, uh, to live in a way that is excellent, sincere, uh, blameless. He wants us to endure life's trials. He wants us to be a blessing to others, to live a fruitful life, right? He wants us to live life as he created it to be to live our life with, with true purpose and meaning, which is why Paul says, to the glory and the praise of God. Right? And again, what's, uh, oh, this is just an amazing passage, but it's incredible that, to think about this, that, that when we anchor, when we anchor our lives in the gospel, this is why this is all connected, that when we consider the gospel, meditate on the gospel, apply the gospel to our lives, when we anchor our lives in the gospel, 
when we apply the reality that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, when we apply the gospel to our lives, here's what happens. Your love will abound. It will overflow. Your love will grow towards God and towards others, which will then lead us to even more, even more to desire to live for God's glory and thus to live more fruitful and holy lives. You see how it works? It's this circle. The more I meditate on the gospel, the more I understand the gospel, the more I love God, love others, live rightly, want to glorify God, which will make me again meditate on the gospel, and around and around we go until we reach glory and perfection with him forever. It's, it's amazing. At the same time, though, I, you know, just reading Paul's prayer, there was a lot of conviction for me. I was, I was reading the prayer and studying through it and uh, it just made me think, you know, I need, I need to pray. I need to pray, period. <laughs> but I need, to, I need to pray. I need to pray more for, for my love and our love as a church, uh, that it would abound more and more. I don't do that enough. I don't know about you. I, I need to pray more uh, that my life, uh, that, that our lives would be overflowing with the fruit of right living, uh, that, that we would want to, that we would actually desire to live in the way that God made us to live. I need to pray more, like Paul. <laughs> and so again, Paul writes these words to this church and to us uh, to, to anchor us in hope, to anchor us in hope in a world that so oftentimes seems so hopeless. Everything going on in our world today, you know, as Nathan was coming up and talking about, everything going on in our world today, um, it doesn't matter really the, the country, like the political stuff and lying and all this, just, it's a mess. The world seems so hopeless. And so Paul writes these beautiful wor- words to anchor us in hope. And so if you need hope today, if that's you, if you, if you find yourself aimless, purposefulless, tired, confused, maybe you, you feel like even right now your life is on shaky ground, you can follow this guide. Start by reflecting on the gospel then apply it to your life. Dwell on the truths of Jesus again and again and again. Consider the truth once again, the simple truth that God saves sinners, which includes you and me. If you want hope today, if you want to hope, prioritize your partnerships in the gospel. Know that other followers of, of Christ, especially within the context of the local church, are a key means of God's grace uh, to, to help you in your own pursuit of hope and joy. We have each other. Uh, we have each other's help here. If you, if you need hope today, take comfort in God's persevering grace in your life, knowing that he will empower you, that he will never give up on you, and that ultimately he is right now, whether you see it, whether you believe it, right now he is finishing. He's putting the final touches of his work 
in you and on your life. And if you are looking for true hope, abound in love to the glory of God. Grow in your love for the Lord. Grow in your love for others. It's really that simple. Pursue righteousness. Again, not to earn God's love or favor, but because you know, you know firmly within your soul that you are loved and favored by God. Amen? Let me pray for us.